Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 9, 14 through 29. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes disputing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing with them about? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a, he has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. He replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out, shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse, so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. After he had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. All right. So you know, it's our practice. We, we go through books of the Bible. And I tell you, doing that is, is probably more interesting than any sermon series I could come up with, right? As we just read, I bet you're like, what are you going to say about that? It's, it's very, it's very, I'm excited to get into the scriptures, and, and the scriptures are indeed not boring, right? Um, and and uh, Apostle Paul says that all scripture is profitable uh, for our use, for our equipping, for our instruction. So we're going we're gonna to get into this. Um, but as, as a young Christian, one of my greatest desires I just wanted to be used by the Lord to make an impact for his kingdom. I was like, how can, how can I do that? I, 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 loved, I loved Christ, and I wanted to make his name known uh, to anyone that I could. And so one of the things I did is I, I studied the spiritually mature people that I knew, right? If, I, if I, somebody around me was spiritually mature, I'm like, what do y'all do? <laughs> you know, and I, I tried to pay attention to their lives. I asked them questions. And uh, not only that, I also began to read uh, biographies of Christians that God had used uh, throughout history. And as I talked to people who were mature in the Lord, who had fruit, and as I read uh, biographies of, of folks that the Lord has used, there is one commonality, and that commonality is vibrant, private prayer. Vibrant, private prayer. I, I learned pretty early on that if, if I wanted to be used by the Lord— I better figure out how to pray <laughs> um, and pray, pray at some length and at some depth. 
And one of the, the, the commonalities that I've seen in people's lives and the biographies and ultimately from the scriptures is this, that we receive access to God's power through a lifestyle of prayer. We receive access to God's power through a lifestyle of prayer. Not one-offs, not only when I feel like it, not when I just need it, but we receive God's power through having a lifestyle of prayer. And that's what we're going to see through this text today. So let's ask Jesus for his help. Jesus, we want to understand you. We want to understand the scriptures, even the scriptures that are are hard, are, are confusing, or that leave us puzzled. Um, Lord, we, we know that you, uh, you have given it to us for a reason. So would you accomplish uh, the purposes that you have for your scripture in our hearts and lives today? Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear so that we might understand what the scriptures are saying and that we might apply what you are instructing us to do? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's dig in. We look at the first chunk of scripture from 14 to 18. Let's just read it. It says, when they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the scribes disputing with them. When the, crowd, when the whole crowd saw him, they were amazed and ran to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing about? Someone from the crowd um, answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, grounds his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't. So if you're following along in the book of Mark, what sticks out to you about this part is that we should be surprised by the disciples' spiritual impotence in this moment. Because already Jesus had given them authority to cast out demons. In Mark 3, 14 and 15, it says he appointed 12, whom he also called apostles, to be with him, to send them out to preach, and to have authority to drive out demons. In Mark 6, 7, it says he summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. So if you're, if you're a watchful reader, it should be somewhat confusing. Wait, wait, didn't they already do this? Now, I know when you read it, you're probably thinking, well, what would I do in that situation? But it's not true. It's folks that Jesus had already trained. Jesus had already gave them authority. They had already done it before. It wasn't like a new thing to them. So if you're paying attention, it should go, wait, wait a minute, what happened? What's different? Why, why, why can't they do something that Jesus had already given them authority to do, that they had already practiced? Like, you should be like, well, what, what is going on here? And, and the problem certainly isn't with Jesus, is it? It's not with Jesus. We know that's basic Sunday school. It's not with Jesus. And, and the problem isn't because Jesus didn't have authority over unclean spirits or because he hadn't given them authority because we've already seen in the, in the gospel that he did. So if, if the finger has to be pointed at someone, it's not Christ. It's not the person who's suffering or his dad. If the finger has to be pointed at someone, it's the apostles. They were doing, there was something off with them. In this moment, this should call us to, to self-examination when we fail to do what Jesus commanded us to do. If Jesus has commanded us to do something and we're not doing it, the problem is not with Jesus. So you're like, did he tell me to count? No, let's, let's make it more plain. Jesus commanded us all to make disciples. 
All right, that's clear. So if we're not making disciples, is the problem with Jesus? No. No, because he's given us authority to do it. He instructs us in the scriptures on how to do it. He gives us the church as the context to do it. If our lives are not affecting people in discipleship, it's not because Jesus hasn't told us to do it. It's not because Jesus, Jesus hasn't given us authority to do it. And it's not because he hasn't given us a context to learn. The problem is with us. And so we have to have some conscious self-examination. So when I'm reading the scriptures and Jesus is commanding me to do something that I'm not doing, I think a lot of times we want to grumble and be like, well, Jesus, I can't believe, or are this certain circumstances, all this, that, and another. But if Jesus commanded you to do something and he gave you the authority to do it and it's not happening, the problem is with us. So that's, that should require us. We, we should look at the scriptures and look at our lives and go, if there is something that is clear that God has called me to do, and I don't see that fruit in my life, I need the Lord's help to look at me. What have I done? What am I not doing? What, what have I failed to do? Now, Jesus is gracious and he's kind, and, and he will show that to you, but don't, don't get it twisted and blame him for something that you didn't do. I can imagine the disciples in that moment feeling real, like, Jesus, you, you walked up to that mountain. That's what happened in the last passage. He was in the, on the mountain of transfiguration. Went to that mountain, and then we tried to do something that you told us to do that we did already and that you trained us to do, and you wasn't here. I can imagine like, being salty at Jesus. But the table's turned because Jesus is actually salty with them. You know, a, a, a ministry without spiritual power does not reflect well on Christ. See, in, in, the, in the book of Acts, this is after they got over this lesson and Jesus had, had died and rose again and sent the Spirit. When we look at the book of Acts, the apostles ministered with spiritual power. In fact, there's no spiritual power that was a match for the power of Christ. And we learn from the Scripture that, that we preach about a Christ who has real authority. We're saying that he really rose from the dead, that he really sits at the right hand of the Father. The apostles were known as those who turned the world upside down. I think one of the reasons Jesus was frustrated is going, no, you're representing me, but your ministry is not showing fruit of my power. And that reflects negatively on me. Beloved, we have to ask and pray and plead that the ministry that we do, the service that we do for Christ, it, it can't be attributed to, to wisdom or strategy. It must be attributed to God's power, because that reflects well on Christ, whom we say has all authority in heaven and on earth. So when we get to verse 19, it says, Jesus replied to them, you unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring him to me. I think this teaches us that Christian leaders ought to display the character and the power of Christ. His frustration in the text is pointed at his disciples. It's not to the person that's hurting. I need to make that very clear. His frustration is not to the boy who's suffering. His frustration is not to his father. His frustration is pointed to his disciples. Because he's like, I didn't told you how to do that. I didn't told you how to do it. We practiced it. You went out and did it. And we were like, yay, what happened? <laughs> what, what is going on? 
So I need to be that clear. He's not frustrated at, at the father. He's not frustrated at the, at the little boy who's suffering because we can see in the scripture that Jesus always has compassion on the brokenhearted. Right? If somebody comes to him broken, he doesn't go fix yourself. He shows compassion. Yet he does hold leaders to a higher standard. In James 3.1, it says, Not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. You're like, why is Jesus so mad? Because, because they are representing him. And if they don't represent him accurately, that's an issue. You know, I was, um, I told you I read biographies. One of the biographies I read was a, it was a, a Chinese believer named Watchman Nee. He lived like in mid-1900s, and, and he, he had this, this awesome ministry. He's planting churches all through China, and uh, some European pastors got to know about him, and so they invited him to a conference. They wanted to hear him speak, and, um, and they invited him to the conference. He got on a boat. That's how long ago it was, and he sat through the conference, and, and they noticed that he, didn't, he, didn't, he just kind of sat and smiled the whole time. He's sitting in the back doing his thing. He's chilling, all right? And at the end of the conference, they're, they're feeling real good about their theology, right? And they're, and they're like, hey, Watchman Nee, what did you think of our conference? And he said, well, y'all had a lot of good things to say. But I bet if somebody who came in here possessed with a demon, you wouldn't know what to do. He ain't getting invited back. But <laughs> the, the point is this, is that he had an expectation that if you are going to be a leader in Christ's kingdom that you would display Christ's power because the standard is higher. Thus is the importance of mentorship and training because you can see later, this is exactly what this opportunity turned into. That's what happened in the, the, later, the later passage. What happens? You said, let me, let, me, let me help you know what's going on. We should look for opportunities for training. Church should be a training center. If you're mature in the faith, would you look for those to mentor? If you're unexperienced, look for mentors. Now we get to verse 20 through 22. It says, so they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, it immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening to him? Jesus asked his father. From childhood, he said. And many times it has thrown him into the fire or water to destroy them. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. One of the things we learn from this part of the the message is that we ought to seek to understand others' story and their trauma. Jesus, we know Jesus could have healed that man without listening to a story. We're not like, okay, I know, I know I'm Jesus. Yeah, let me just do it. No, no, he was very patient. He was very patient to listen to that man's story, to listen to his trauma. The author of life pauses to hear our stories. You might think, well, he already knows. Beloved, he cares so much that he listens to us. And you know how that feels. You know how it feels when somebody's listening to you, especially if you're discussing something that's heavy and hard and how that displays love and care. Jesus listens sympathetically to our stories and our trauma. So so we, in turn, should imitate Jesus and how we hear others. Listen, you might know a lot of Bible and you might know the answer. But when somebody comes to you with something, don't blah, 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 be quiet. You don't gotta don't don't instantly try to fix something. That you would you would model the empathy of Jesus, that people would not be projects, 
I know what you're doing wrong. Do this, that, and the other. I can fix it real quick, so let me fix it real quick. But that you would pause and go, let me listen. Because in this, I'm imitating Christ and I'm demonstrating his compassion. Even if you know exactly what to do. There is something meaningful and spiritually healing about listening and allowing others to process. Beloved, we should be known as compassionate listeners. Again, I want to emphasize, Jesus already knew what was happening, and he could have stopped the man midway through his story and said, let me just fix the thing because I have the power to do it. But instead, he listened and he paused. How much care do you think that man felt in that moment? Remember, this time, Jesus is a busy teacher. He got tons of people trying to ask him to do stuff all the time. But he pauses and he looks this man in the eye and says, let me hear what you have to say. We go to verse 23, 24. It says, Jesus said to him, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out, I do believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus encourages us to have faith in his power. There's no obstacle too large for Christ. But a lot of times when people talk about faith nowadays, the way they talk about it actually encourages us to be fake. In the sense of, I believe, I believe. You're like kind of psyching yourself out a little bit. And you're like, I don't want to let nobody know that I really might have some doubts. What I love is the honesty of this man. He says, I believe, but, but kind of. You know, like, I believe, but I, I'm struggling to believe. Could you, could, you, could you help me? I love the honesty of that man's prayer. And y'all, Jesus did not rebuke him for his honesty. He didn't say, what you mean, help me? You better believe. That's not what he says. He says, I, listen, I see your wake, your faith. I know it's true. I know it's weak. And I will come to you anyway. We don't got to be no kind of fake with Jesus. Like, man, my life is going, it's not going the way I want it to go. And I have faith, but Jesus is weak and I got doubts. Jesus says, bring that to me. Don't be fake with me. Don't be fake with each other. Jesus accepts and listens to weak, sincere faith. That should be of encouragement to you. So when Jesus says stuff in the passage like, like your faith makes you whole, you might go, well, I don't know if I got the faith like that. Do you got faith like this guy? (laughs) I believe, but help me. Jesus draws near to that. It's it's a simple belief that at times, let's be honest, at times it is mixed with doubt. But that does not mean Jesus rejects it. Jesus accepts weak, sincere faith. We get to verse 25 and 27. It says, when Jesus saw that crowd, that a crowd was gathering quickly, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Then it came out shrieking and throwing him into terrible convulsions. The boy became like a corpse so that many said, he's dead. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him and he stood up. I want you to notice a couple things about, about this, about his authority over evil spirits. Jesus ain't asked nobody to do nothing. There is no question in that passage. He, he didn't, he, 
demon, if you think I, if you, if he would be so kind, the craziest thing is he didn't even pray. He didn't even say, Father. He said, I command you, get up out of there. Listen, he commanded. He did not ask. See, Christ has authority as the creator and the sustainer of the universe. He didn't, ha- he didn't have to ask permission from nobody. That is the authority that he walks in. So when we pray to Christ, we're not praying to someone who needs permission. Because he created all things, because he sustains all things, he has authority in every single situation. But also notice what happened. Jesus said, come out. And But before the spirit came out, what happened? I think the demon threw a temper tantrum. I mean, I, I, I know about temper tantrums, you know what I'm saying? So, like, notice this temper tantrum. Like, Jesus goes out, and then, then like, the like, convulsions, the boy goes like a corpse, and everybody's like, he's dead. Jesus like, no, 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 he's not. Listen, there are times in our life when we're, we're, we're in some bad situations, and we're, we're praying, and we're believing God, and maybe it gets worse, and we're real tempted in that moment to go, oh, where you at, God? But sometimes bad situations or even the intensity of the negative situation does not mean God is at work. It could mean that God's about to deliver. So, so, so don't, don't lose faith. Don't lose faith. Now we're going to come to the, to, to the meat of what I want to talk about today in verse 28 to 29. After we had gone into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? They were probably embarrassed. Probably, you know, Jesus just rebuked him for everybody, you know what I'm saying? Why couldn't we drive it out? And then he told them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. Now, we've got to understand the context. Do you think when they were trying to cast out that demon that they were trying to pray? Most, now, just be honest. They probably said a couple of prayers, right? Jesus, help me. Father, help me. What, whatever he's saying, he's not saying, why didn't you pray in that moment? Because that's kind of an instinct, like, oh gosh, I should pray. It's like an instinct. If you're in a bad situation and you know God, when you're in that moment, it's kind of an instinct to prayer. So he's not saying, why didn't you pray when that happened? That's not what he's saying. He's, something else is happening. This is, this is what the, the CSB study Bible says. It says, Mark has mentioned prayer only twice previously, both occasions describing Jesus communing alone with God and apparently at length. Since the disciples' authority depends solely on their relationship to Jesus, their failure to understand and faithfully respond to his call of consistent prayer had compromised that authority. Only prayer can align them again with the things of God. So what's going on? It's not that in that moment they didn't pray. That, you don't, you can, somebody who don't even really follow God will be praying at, at moments when you feel like you need him. But the issue was, listen, he's, Jesus is saying, listen, I taught you about a lifestyle of prayer, and you didn't do it. And at that moment, your inability to access God's power is a consequence of you not having a consistent prayer life. Jesus had given them authority over evil spirits, yet the method of continued reception of that gift is prayer. How do I receive? This was a free gift, I didn't earn it. But how do I receive what God has given me? A consistent lifestyle of prayer. And that was the issue. 
See, yes, I've given you authority. Yes, you know how to do this. You've done this before. But the thing that you lacked is that you did not imitate me in my consistent private prayer. And for that reason, you were unable to access the power that I had already given you. And the reality is this. How many of the benefits of the gospel do we leave on the table because we neglect private prayer? I'll give you an example. The gospel says that, that Jesus forgives you, but a lot of times we walk around feeling guilty. Why? Why? Because we have not been with God so that we would receive that forgiveness. If we have not been with it's not that our prayer earns it, but our prayer goes, here, I am ready to receive. I am ready to receive all the free things that you have given me. Look, the feeling of forgiveness is not something you earn, but it certainly is something that you receive by spending time with God. So if, if you walk around with a shadow of unforgiveness, one of the things I would say is, are you spending time with him? Because I know what it feels to feel that guilt and shame, but I also know what, it, what it's like when I spill, spend time with God. I'm like, oh, I don't have to carry that. I don't have to carry that. Now, how many of us walk around without peace? Peace is a gift given to us by God. It is a gift and a fruit of the Holy Spirit. But there are times that we don't feel it. Why? Because we have not received it through prayer. We have not adapt, adopted a lifestyle of prayer. So the thing that was freed up for us to get because of Jesus, we don't receive it because we have lacked to extend our hands through a lifestyle of prayer and receive it. Not only that, I want you to understand that holiness is a gift. Like, like being made like Christ is a gift. Fighting sin, the ability to say no to sin, that's a gift. But you won't walk in it unless you open your hands with a lifestyle of prayer. How much do we leave on the table because we don't have a posture of receiving through a lifestyle of prayer? Beloved, it's free but you got to open up your hand and receive it. You know, the reason that they had authority to cast out demons in the first place was never because they earned it. It was never because the apostles did something awesome. You just need to understand that. The reason that they had authority is because Jesus is the faithful one who shares his power and authority with us. See, Jesus has power because of his inheritance and because of his obedience. He is the son of God by nature. That means you got some power. But not only that, he laid down uh, uh, some of the usages and the privileges of his deity, and he lived an obedient life. And because he lived an obedient life as a man, God rewarded him with authority and power. Not only that, Jesus was not just obedient in life, he was obedient to the point of death and even death on a cross. What you need to see, the, resur the resurrection, in a sense, is, is the Father declaring the rewards of Jesus' obedience. Don't get it twisted, y'all. 
Jesus had done everything right, and I'm going to demonstrate it by raising him from the dead. And then we say this creed every week. Where he at now, y'all? Now he is exalted, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, and all authority and power is given to him. Now, I'm going to say something that, that, that you, might, you might have read, but you might have paid attention to. In Ephesians 2, it says that God raised us up with Christ. And he seated us somewhere. It says that he seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. I.e., Jesus has authority, and you get to sit with him in it. That, that, that's what Scripture is, is teaching in this moment. So, so here's the deal. Here's the deal. He shares the benefits of his rewards with us. So Jesus has all this favor because of 33 years of law keeping. And guess what? You get it too. And Jesus has authority over evil because of who he is and what he has done. And guess what? You do too. And you're like, I don't feel it. But we didn't talk about how do you receive it? You receive it with the open hand of a lifestyle of prayer. Now, listen, I know that this, this, this topic has a lot of unanswered questions. So we just talked about earlier about addressing elephants in the room. So let, let's, let's talk about some stuff because I know y'all got some questions. All right. So here's the deal. Here's question number one that you might be thinking. Are sicknesses and other problems always caused by demons? Right? You're reading it? You're like, so he was sick? Maybe he had, what's going on here? I need you to put your thinking cap on because we're going to get kind of deep, all right? The Bible has a complex picture of evil and suffering. The Bible has a complex picture of evil and suffering. So there's a couple things that, that happen when we think about how the Bible describes evil. One is what we read about today, that sometimes evil is attributed to spiritual evil, Satan, demons right? But then there also is this, this thing called the flesh that you and I wrestle with, yeah? The sinful nature, the, the, the principle of sin within us, that's a cause of evil too. But then the Bible also says that there's this thing called the world that's evil. So it's not talking about the literal globe, it's talking about the culture that is at war against God. And then the Bible also gives an example of just weakness. Because we live in a sinful and broken world, sometimes the weaknesses we feel are not because we did something, but because we inherited something, we're sick. So let me, let me just make it as plain as can be. I'll make it plain. I'm going to give you two examples so I can make it very plain. Uh, in 2020, there was a lot of discussion uh, about a lot of stuff. <laughs> but, one of the, <laughs> but one of the things uh, that I had to flesh out was there was a lot of what I saw was evil, and I had to parse that out. What is going on? Okay? So I'm, a, I'm going to give you an example. I have a family member who grew up in Jim Crow, Mississippi, Delta. All right? And she told me that, that uh, when she was a little girl, one day she was uh, walking in a gas station, and uh, there was a white man who went in front of her, and he intentionally closed the door on her foot. Her toe was broken, so she had to go to the doctor or the hospital, but the closest hospital did not allow black people to go. So they had to go to the other town over in order for her to receive the attention he needed. So, so, so okay, 
from a spiritual standpoint, what is going on? What is going on right here? So let's, let's use the lens from the scripture, okay? Do you think it is something that might be spiritually evil to want to hurt a little girl? Yeah, yeah. Do, do you think that in that man that he had a sinful inclination to be mad at black people? Yeah. Did he live in a culture in which it was easy for him to do that? Yeah, yeah. So, so what's happening? All three are at work at some differing degree. The world, the flesh, and the devil are all at work at some... So, so you, in retrospect, you can look back and be like, well, that was the devil, or that was that man, or that was the culture. The answer is yes. It was all three of those things. And depending on what church tradition you grow up in, you're going to have an emphasis on one or the other. So there's some churches that's like, everything in your life is because of you sinned. Now, some of it might be, but everything? You know, <laughs> so if something goes wrong, well, you better repent. Or, or you have some churches who go, well, everything in your life is because of some spiritual e- evil. You have lust, it's because you have Satan or something. Well, maybe, but sometimes that's just you. <laughs> that's just you. <laughs> you just need to repent, right? Right? Or, or we, a culture, we live in a culture where uh, greed is prevalent and easy, right? Why are we predisposed to greed? Well, we live in a culture where it's really easy to do that. So, so, what's, so what's happening in this complex picture of evil is it helps actually give us balance in our responses, right? The ones who only look at the culture, they'll go, well, it's a systemic issue, and we need to address that. The reality is it might be all three of those things, which means that we don't have simplistic answers. All right, this is, this, I told you I'm going to give you another. This is me being very transparent. God wants us to be a transparent church and starts with us. Some of, y'all, some of y'all have heard this before, but uh, over the past 10-ish years, I have struggled with de- uh, anxiety and depression. I go through periods where it's not as bad as periods where it's not. So what is happening in me? Because this is not just a, not a thought experiment. I had to think about this. <laughs> what is happening? Well, a couple of things. I know because of family history that I have a genetic predisposition. That's a weakness. I didn't do that. That's not my fault, but it's just a reality of the world in which we live in, right? So there's a weakness genetically there. What else is happening? Do you think that Satan would want to tempt me to be anxious and depressed at times? Oh, yeah. Especially, man, when, 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 when things are going really bad or really well with the church. <laughs> Either way, I feel that. Do you think there are times that my sinful flesh wants to lean into anxiety because I want to control? Yeah, yeah. And do you think if I'm around a bunch of anxious people that it will be easier for me to be anxious? Yeah, yeah. So, so even in my own life, there's a complex picture of what's happening within me. And so, so that actually informs me of what I should do, right? So if it's weakness, and if I can go get help, I'm going to the doctor, all right? If, 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 it's, if it's a satanic lie, I'm going to rebuke it. If it's in my own flesh, I'm going to say no. And I'm not going to put myself in situations on purpose that I know are going to trigger my anxiety without clear direction. So it's a complex picture in how I respond. Does that make sense? All right, that's lingering question number one. Lingering question number two, does demon possession still happen? I know y'all thinking it. 
The short answer is yes. I'm not talking about hypothetically, y'all. I have seen it. I have seen it. Not, not, not I heard about it. In the life of our church, we have had to respond to situations similar to what, what we read about. Somebody is physically wilding out, and they're like, that ain't normal. <laughs> that is not, I didn't see stuff, but that ain't normal. And we have had to, by the authority of Christ, tell that evil spirit to leave. And by God's grace, it has happened. Now, let me give you, that's a short answer. Does it still happen? Yes. Let me give you the long answer. There is a spectrum of demonic involvement on people's lives. So let me, so let me just make this plain. The Bible says that we're tempted by Satan. We just prayed that, right? Deliver us from who? The evil one. Okay, so we just prayed. So the Bible says that in some level, everybody is tempted by the demonic. That's what, I mean, we, we, we just prayed that. But yet, there is a degree, either to the point that you give in and cooperate with evil, or, or if you've been abused or faced trauma, there's a point in which that, that level of demonic influence, it goes up. And it goes up to a point where you, you don't have the power to resist it on your own. And so you need help. So, so the question is not, uh, do some people struggle with demons and some people don't? The reality is everybody <laughs> struggles with demonic temptation. And your cooperation with it or not, i.e. saying yes to it or not, is going to determine the degree to which you struggle with it. So let me just make it plain. I know, I know we're in the weeds, but I just want to make it plain. So uh, there's, there's uh, a young man who, this, we, in, our, in our church, not here anymore, but we, he, was, he had a demon, and we had to go uh, cast it out and address it. But one of the things I did is I sat down and said, tell me which, what have you been doing? Help me understand your life up to this point. Long story short, the boy had been doing a form of witchcraft. Okay, that's what he had been doing. So I said, hey man, you, you probably shouldn't. You know, like, that's not a good call. But because he was participating and cooperating with that spiritual evil, it got to a point where he, couldn't, he could not resist it by himself. So he needed help from the leaders of the church. All right, so that's, the question, that's question two. Does demon possession still happen? Short answer, yes. Long answer, there's a spectrum of demonic influence. And there's dangers on either side of this question. Either everything's a demon or nothing's a demon. Both of those are wrong. All right. Question three. What do I do if I know someone who is oppressed in this way? What do I do? The short answer is you come talk to me. <laughs> All right. You come talk to me. We'll, we'll work on it. We'll figure it out. We'll pray. The long answer is this, is that you have to adopt a, an attitude and a posture of patience, prayer, reliance on God's word and fasting. All right, so if that's something you for real are dealing with or somebody you love is dealing with, you need to come talk to me or one of the elders. Because just like I said in the beginning, I don't want to be talking about Christ and, and not acting like I, that we can't walk in his power. Okay? That was a lot, wasn't it? So in short, what we learn from this passage is that we have to be devoted to a lifestyle of prayer. Yeah? If we want to have open hands and receive the free gifts that God has given us, 
including forgiveness, peace, authority, whatever it is, we have to adopt a lifestyle of prayer. And I'm going to give you a couple examples of what that could look like, and then we'll, 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 we'll close it. And one of the first writings uh, after the New Testament is a, is a book called the, the Didache. It means the teaching. And they talk, it kind of gives us a picture. What were the first Christians doing? And in their, their day, they said, hey, why don't you pray three times a day? So a lot of times we taught a quiet time or something like that. These mugs had three times a day of a quiet time. <laughs> All right? You're like, what did they pray? Y'all want to know what they prayed? The Lord's Prayer. <laughs> but, but if you would use, if, if, just take that as a paradigm and go, okay, can I structure my life in such a way that I have regular times of contact with God? Now, I don't think every, every three times that they was doing that, they was like for an hour because they had jobs too. You know what I'm saying? But I, I'll tell you how it worked when I, when I had a, a not, not religious job, okay? So in the morning, I need to be with the Lord. At lunch, when I had a lunch break, it wasn't as long as the morning time, but I needed to go be with the Lord. And before I went to bed, I needed to be with the Lord. And, I, and, and, and it had to be, and it took a while to make that a practice, but you could do it. <laughs> You could think through your life, think through your schedule, like how can I insert regular times of prayer so that I am receiving from the Lord? Another thing you could do is you could do something that I like to call mini retreats. A lot of us can't just get off on a retreat, but we, sometimes we can steal three or four hours and go be with the Lord. I'm not talking about every week, but maybe you can go, man, maybe, I, maybe instead of going out this night on Friday, maybe I just need to get with the scriptures and be with the Lord. Not every Friday, once a month, once every two months, I don't know. But one of the things we know from Jesus's life is there'll be a lot of times we're like, where is Jesus? What are he doing? Praying. <laughs> so Jesus was about that mini retreat life. And the last thing I'll say is that sometimes you got to try a couple of methods of prayer to see what works for you. Okay? Um, like I, we talked, we've done a lot of things in the church. You can use the Lord's Prayer as a guide. We have little books called "Feel God's a Daily Prayer" in the in the lobby. You could try that. There's a lot of things you could try, but you keep trying and keep pursuing prayer till you figure out what works for you and how you connect with God. Why? Because I want to have a posture of receiving from the Lord, and according to the Scripture, that posture is not sporadic prayer, but regular, a lifestyle of prayer. So we receive access to God's power through a lifestyle of prayer. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Um, I pray that it would accomplish what you have sent it to do, and that where we are challenged, are convicted, that we would see that as invitations from the Holy Spirit to enter into a lifestyle of prayer, of trust, of receiving all of the good things that you have earned for us. So Lord, we love you, we praise you, we honor you. Help us to be a church that is devoted to prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.